0: This is Alok, your host, and our today's guest is Shannon Litz, Director of Security at Intuit. We're going to discuss the topic of security with Shannon. Welcome, Shannon.
1: Hi there. Thanks, Alok. Nice to be here today. Um, As you know, I'm the uh, Director of Adversary Management at Intuit. And that basically brings together the Red Team plus Threat Intel and um, some of our newest capabilities like Adversary Insights and Securability. So I'm really excited to be here with you today.
0: Awesome. So Shannon, what would be the two-minute definition of Securability anchored in the context of application security?
1: Uh, That's a really good question. So, um, maybe I'll give a little bit of background context for a moment. Uh, you know, one of the things that I think the security industry has been working through for a long time is finding a security measure that works. And along the way with DevSecOps, um, you have to solve for a maturity model and trying to bring things along and pulling together processes and really asking yourself is this solving for the next generation of security? One of the things we focused our efforts on was securability and in the context of application security, securability is essentially a measure that helps us to identify what the most important things are that create security resilience in our applications and software. Mm -hmm. I think it's important to realize that, um, you know, we need this for a lot of different reasons.
0: Mm -hmm. So do we have a formula that we can aspire for?
1: Yeah, uh, actually, that was one of the coolest things about working on securability is trying to figure out a formula that resonates and actually brings to the forefront the problems. So our our general, just starting off with the actual equation, it's it's actually really simple. Uh, If you equate resilience, which is the thing you really want to get out of software, to um, the number one, it's basically binary, is it yes or no? And then you subtract the exploitability, which will be escapes over exploitable opportunities from that resilience. You essentially get have you degraded your resilience, your security, essentially. And then you multiply that by 100% to get to some number that basically helps you to understand the percentage of all risk. Uh, And that essentially, that calculation helps you to get to what we call a five nines measure, because most of the time, exploitability is actually a, um, a micro-problem. Like, what most people see is that, uh, you know, security is degraded by attackers in a variety of ways, right? Mm-hmm. But most of the time, it's actually really small edge-case nuanced problems or mistakes that are coming up that degrade that resilience. And um, when that happens, essentially, it's again, a micro problem with a lot, a lot of intensity from an adversary and scrutiny and enough time, they'll find that defect, pick it apart and leverage it to do bad things with your environment and your software.
0: So you said three interesting things, and I'm becoming in the context of application security. Uh, you have threats, adversary, and you're going to measure that you have uh, your application code by which you will measure and you will apply some kind of analysis to measure the exploitability of that and you are basically trying to match the two that how much you are exploitable and based on and what kind of attacks you are seeing uh, is that the broad context here can you kind of give us yeah a bit of that? yeah
1: that's absolutely true it's the broadest context we have um, One of the things to think about is in the formula, right? You're really trying to solve for ultimately understanding whether you've built secure enough software, built security into your software, resolved all the problems of your edge cases and the mistakes that could possibly arise that would essentially give an attacker an advantage. In game theory, the way you think about this is, um, you know, it's always a zero sum game they don't have anything to get if you didn't give it to them so as you make risk trade-offs in your software whether it be for speed or simplifying something because of complexity challenges um or even something super costly to do and so you just don't see the the benefit of doing it you're essentially in giving away against those risks you're actually creating opportunities for adversaries and so You know, this calculation really brings to the forefront that ultimate goal of um, building security and I would equate it also to making something that developers can use as a measure that simplifies it enough akin to sort of availability. So if you look at the availability challenges that the industry had when the internet was first born, you know, it was quite common for things to fall over and stay down and cost lots of money. And over the many years, we've gotten pretty good as an industry on availability. Um, my belief is, you know, I've actually looked at data sets and there's basically around $4.5 billion in availability challenges still in the industry. But that's pretty small next to the $600 billion that exists in the security challenges that um, plague the industry.
0: No, absolutely. So I, I want to kind of double click on some of the items you said. So, and, and this was a very interesting point you made that uh, if you have just by design a lot of exploitability, uh, exploitable opportunities, uh, then some someday your threat actor will figure that out and will go to that. So the good thing is to kind of reduce the exploitable opportunities. But how do you, in, as a practitioner? How will you figure out total exploitable opportunities? What tools a security team can use to figure that out?
1: Uh, good question. So, you know, I think that one of the things that the security industry is um, just starting to figure out is this notion of bill of materials. And a bill of materials is something that I think a lot of industries um, are trying to figure out because there's start, starting to be regulation around having a bill of materials. It's similar to when you look at Toyota when they were trying to represent what it meant to build good high quality products. Um, having that bill of materials is where you start. So, you know, some of the tools that might be out there, um, things like Exonius are starting to solve for what are the things that have to have security controls around them, looking at manifests and GitHub, maybe even using things like SNCC or some of those um, major players in this space. It is a super emerging part of the industry right now. So I would say figuring out your exploitable opportunities is still something that I think a lot of people are trying to reconcile. Because when you basically get to the point where an equation does resonate and it really can help, um, the work that you do to really bring that to life is probably some of the most meaningful and most valuable work. I, I think it's absolutely an area that needs a lot more capability.
0: Okay, so we start with builds of material. And then uh, of course, the next step would be that you understand that how those bills of material or the code interacts with each other. I mean, it, uh, is it not important to understand your protocols or your business logic? Uh, does it improve the code visibility uh, I mean, if you understand business logic more or protocols more, does it help you to understand the exploitable threats?
1: Yeah, you know, again, good question. Um, Once you have the bill of materials, you know, it's really important to go through examining those um, materials. So if you look at the resources that underlie that bill, bill of materials, Um, essentially your code, the protocols that you're writing into that code, and um, some of the things that you might borrow, say libraries or borrowed code, they all need to be inspected, evaluated for mistakes, misconfigurations, um, uh, coding practice. So we know, for example, that there are a lot of different ways that input validation needs to be appropriate. And as part of that, um, you know, inspection, there has to be both the right tools for that inspection against um, more precision so that we can put out better software. Uh, You know, it's not easy to write perfect software, as you can imagine. And then if you're not trying to write perfect software, you're trying to provide resilient enough software, really trying to figure out what your edge cases are and how you're going to deal with those things is super important.
0: So uh, just like the last time, what uh, tools would you recommend? Do you have some tools that you would recommend for people to understand uh, protocols or business logic if the practitioners are listening here?
1: Yeah, well, it's a, it's a little bit of a trick question, right? Um, one, of the, one of the products that we do use is uh, obviously Shift Left, and uh, it, we, it helps us to go through our code using code graphing capabilities. And protocols through, um, you know, the business logic running through those things. Uh, additionally, when we look at things like misconfigurations and some of those areas, you know, we're leveraging things like the ability to do configuration checks in AWS for the stuff that is in infrastructure. Um, We're looking at all of the configurations from an outside in perspective. So we're actually scanning using things like Nmap. We kind of built something uh, called Raven that's got Nmap on steroids, if you will and um you know inspecting outside and inside these tools help us to get more precision about what are the actual exploitable opportunities what things will an adversary actually go after and then once you have that data you can actually go through the curation process of dis- uh, determining you know what are the biggest threats that you have to resolve and i think that also gives you a sense of you know are the things that you made decisions about in your software process um, something that you'll be okay with letting go to production or if you need to actually pull something back and make sure that it's actually resilient enough because, you know, most companies know that they get a lot of attacks on a daily basis for software, especially the things that are in the mobile world or the web application world, you know, that, that can be a real challenge, right?
0: Yes, uh, absolutely. So we covered part of where you talked about exploitable opportunities, both from bill of material as well as from protocol perspective. Now I will uh, take your, I think the second part that you said is to match this with uh, understanding your threat data. So how do you measure your threat data and how can practitioner do that? Again, the same question, how can they, what kind of tools that they should use to generate an insight about the threat data?
1: Yeah, that's a great question too. Um, so threat data comes in a variety of forms. Uh, from the front end of your company, you know, you're going to have uh, obvious opportunities that adversaries are going after. So you're going to see things in your logs, as an example. Um, a good place to to pick that up is going to be in Splunk. And you know, when we first got started, that was an obvious place to start to um, look for signs of adversary interest, if you will. And over time, as we started working more and more in um, closer to the code, getting cloudy, uh, getting more cloud um, proximity, you know, some of the additional tools like real-time application self-protection is really important. And there's a variety of vendors that participate with RASP. Um, and I think it's actually a real-time application uh, self-protection is what it's termed. So people usually mix it in a variety of ways. Uh, Those tools can help to identify where adversaries are trying things. It's almost like when you lock your door, do you actually know if an adversary or a a, um, burglar is actually checking the lock every day? The Mm -hmm. answer is not unless you're actually watching, right? So when you move to the cloud, if you don't have the right telemetry, you'll never see what's actually trying to attack you. And there are different types of adversaries, the lucky versus the good, if you will. The lucky are basically trying anything and they're doing the spray and pray. They've got tools and capabilities that if they light up, they they caught one, right? It's almost like fishing. Mm-hmm. and then the good are actually doing some of that reconnaissance they're you know stalking things and watching and they're actually more advanced in how they go about finding an opportunity so that they could take advantage of it
0: that's pretty interesting so we wrap we we kind of uh, connected the two sides uh, the, the from exploitability and uh, threat data so just to uh, repackage this i i think you talked about the formula, would you like to talk about the formula again once so that now people have understood the base concept now they can bring all the data together
1: yeah absolutely so if we go back like i said um you're really equating your software resilience to essentially 100 percent and you're trying to find out through the work of bringing your bill of materials together with the exploits and pocs and actual attacks that could hit you and that essentially creates sort of the exploitable opportunities and then i think um you know the equation is essentially you're, you're subtracting that exploitability with the escapes that you find over the exploitable opportunities um, and, and you're essentially getting to a five nines measure that um is something that you can then test against your adversary Uh, information. Mm -hmm. So is five nines, you know, what you need? Or, you know, do you need your product to be 100% because it's constantly attacked? Uh, That can help a developer to understand in their environment with the specificity of their environment, how to make better decisions. So as an example, when they first start to write their software, and you know, bringing it all together from the very um, early parts of the development and design pipeline, essentially shifting left this notion of what adversaries is my software going to encounter and how do I essentially solve those problems before they become something that I'm gonna to have to worry about. You really do have to understand how much adversary interest am I gonna have by posting a web application out there? And there's so much more telemetry than there's been um specifically because we are seeing those real-time application self-protection capabilities that provide some of this data that suggests that when you post an application to the internet it's going to be scanned within only a few moments
0: yeah no absolutely and uh, and in your industry you would be uh, an. In, i mean you would be your apps for example would be of a lot of interest so without going into a specific app if i would if you have a story for us to tell that uh, where you Um, basically have a real-life example to demonstrate the power of securability?
1: Um, You know, it's a really good question. Uh, You know, we've implemented securability and we've been measuring it for about a year and a half. Um, And it's really powerful because it helps you to decide on investment decisions. And uh, one of the cool things I think is um, it's probably not just, you know, which products and stuff are we doing? What are we doing with it? But... Um, Imagine just putting something out there that is, um, you know, a sandbox or some sort of application to study it to see how often adversaries are actually going after it. What are the lucky things. So imagine, um, you know, some of the banks, what is it, the uh, vulnerable apps that are out there. that you could post so some of the OWASP crowd has really cool little uh, learning sites so you can put them out in the sandbox and see how they do. If you put the right telemetry on them, you can take back a whole bunch of information about the bill of materials for that application. You can see adversaries hitting it. You can determine that the secureability was pretty low for that application and what really happens in real life is as a honeypot you capture a whole bunch of telemetry about some of the things that really are concerning like as an example cross-site scripting Um, you know how often will an adversary actually go after a cross-site scripting issue if it's super easy to scan for the answer is it only takes moments for them to start trying and then all of a sudden you see uh, attempts being made um, against that application that are not good right so I would just say, you know, it's uh, I always like to keep a little bit more of the information about where specifically we use some of this detail, but the honeypot information, I think is wildly impressive when it comes to securability because it's almost like putting a hypothesis out there with a known outcome and seeing what happens that that's a, that was a real eye opener. And one of the reasons why we think the measure is so valuable.
0: So I think what you are kind of giving us a new metric uh, where uh, rather than folks doing vulnerability prioritization on some internal looking measure, this kind of becomes more important that what kind of things you should fix more to get a higher security isn't it?
1: That's right, that's right. Um, You know, I, I like CVSS. I like some of the measures that are out there that help you to figure out what things you should be worried about from a known perspective. But what securability gives you, because CVSS is really for the security industry, developers want something a little bit more simple and they want something that they're acquainted to already. So having a five nines measure means that you can make security accessible for people who have already existing pipelines for measuring like this. And all we have to do is give them the appropriate data, tools, and capabilities, and essentially turn them loose with the measure and then govern, you know, using that same measure with some of the tools and telemetry and controls, and now you have a really great, you know, relationship between developer and security professional, um, such that both have a, a good way to participate together um, and bring the most value to software resiliency.
0: That's awesome. Actually, uh, uh, Shannon, uh, this was an awesome conversation. Um, is that? I mean, before I thank you for joining us, I mean, uh, would, uh, would you like to give the audience of this podcast an indication uh, that when are you speaking next?
1: Some of the things that I was planning on doing here on out have been moved to virtual conferences, and I'm participating in ONUG yet. I think it's O-N-U-G. It's a conference that's coming up. And then uh, I have a few other things that are on the horizon. And hopefully with the current situation, you know, it's hard to predict a pandemic in my uh, travels. So I think you'll you'll probably hear from me through more of the virtual conferences for the remaining part of the year. Um, hopefully by the fall, we'll see more of this pandemic uh, play out. But I am hoping to see uh, in the next couple of weeks that we'll have the ability to, have more potential for uh, in-person conferences.
0: Awesome. Thanks, Shannon, for joining me and uh, thanks for joining us for this episode of podcast. Thank you. Thank you.